Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is an RNZ podcast. children will feel and I don't think it's something that um, you should just brush off. If we're waiting for self-regulation at the beginning, we're going to be waiting a really long time. Welcome to Are We There Yet? I'm Katie Gossett. And as babies make their way through the world, there's a lot of crying involved. Now some of that is because they don't know what's going on, but often as they get older, it's because they can't do something or something hasn't gone their way. We tend to acknowledge what they have tried, going, oh, you've tried to climb that tree, but you haven't been able to get up to the first branch. And then your child gets upset. And what do you do about it? She's going to say, oh, but I'm not good enough. Um, you know, she'll, she'll bring herself down. I suppose from a parent's point of view, you've got to come at it from, yeah, OK, might not be your thing, let's try something else. And this panel discussion from an old RNZ programme shows parents were grappling with this kind of stuff back in the 70s as well. What happens is that children will actually find out for themselves if they're allowed to. But I think too many parents stop them. They say, oh, don't do this, Johnny, or you'll hurt yourself. The classic thing is you see kids climbing and parents race over and help them down. But if you just leave them to their own devices, they scream their heads off and sit there for a while and they fathom it out. And all these experiences, both old and new, can be loosely linked by the emotion popularly known as frustration. And that's what we're talking about today, frustration and failure. Not our own as parents, because we've probably got quite a bit we could talk about there, but that of our children. How do we teach them to cope with it? Here's our clinical psychologist, Catherine Gallagher. The challenge for parents is to transition from taking full responsibility for our kids' feelings to gradually handing them over to children so that they can learn about how to handle them more independently. Kids aren't born knowing how to deal with frustration or how to deal with failure. It's our role as parents to notice and validate what our little ones are feeling and reflect it back to them in bite-sized chunks so they can learn about themselves and their world. This involves all feelings, the good, the bad and definitely the ugly. Negative emotions like frustration when we fail at things can look really ugly. And when we're confronted by that, it's tempting to want to leap in there, rescue them and smooth everything over. But our challenge as parents is to help the child know what might be going on, give them choices around what to do next, and make it clear that the ugly acting out stuff isn't working for them. People express their frustration in all kinds of ways. Babies tend to do it through crying, which is why when our babies cry, we wonder, well, what is it that they need? When somebody else's baby cries possibly on a long-haul flight, we might find it annoying. But we still don't question that fundamental right to self-expression. When your baby cried in frustration before it was able to stand up, this wasn't something wrong. It was evolution and development at play. They had to fail. They had to keep failing and keep chipping away at that before they were able to succeed. (laughs) 
But once you get older, it seems that feelings like frustration are somehow frowned upon. For some reason, society has given us the message that negative feelings are bad and they must be avoided if they can. This is absolutely not true. Negative feelings are vital, and unless we learn how to identify them, manage them and move through them, we can believe that they're dangerous and wrong and need to be avoided, as otherwise we're going to be overwhelmed. This can interrupt learning as it reduces the child's confidence to try new things that they aren't guaranteed of succeeding at, or to cope with things that don't fit into their expectations or plan. We need to be kind of acknowledging the feelings that they might be having. Oh, it's frustrating, isn't it, when you can't do this? You know, that's part of building resilience. And they're right, we all experience frustration. I experience it regularly, driving home late for pickup, feeling frustrated at the person in front of me who's actually driving at the speed limit. Even if the situation is entirely of my own making, I feel frustrated. So why should we spare our kids that feeling? Children won't sit with hard emotions unless we make this happen. If you're waiting for your child to handle frustration or failure better, then you can back off. Well, they just simply won't. We need to create the space for emotions to happen and be resolved through the child taking increasing responsibility for what happens next, with appropriate scaffolding, of course. In psychology speak, we're moving from us regulating their experience to co-regulation to greater self-regulation. If we're waiting for self-regulation at the beginning, we're going to be waiting a really long time. Learning through parenting a special needs child, labelling emotions is really important, saying, saying you are frustrated about this. You need to take some time out, go and sit in the lounge and just cool down and then we'd have a chat about it afterwards about how they felt. See this is where it gets tricky because in order for them to feel these emotions and to learn to cope with them, something's got to go wrong. They need to have a disaster, an epic fail if you like. And as parents we really just have to let it happen. We can't all be all blacks. And so if we keep protecting our kids from little failures and frustrations, how do they learn to cope with the bigger ones? So, as an example, say your child competes in something, comes last, they come home and they're upset about it. What are we saying? Well, I think, you know, part of that is, is, as parents, and this is backtracking, is how realistic have we set up the playing field to be? Because if that child's grown up with a view that they're the best and, in fact, you've manoeuvred their environment so that they've never lost, then when they do run that first race... (laughs) They will be gutted. So giving your child little experiences of failure and exposing them to some reality around, hey, that might not be your thing, is a really important way to build resilience and help them be realistic about what they're actually able to do. Have you ever felt this instinct to smooth things over for your child and kind of... No, I believe that it's important to have failures um, because that's how you learn. If, you know, you don't succeed, you're like, well, why didn't I? You're able to to question that and that possibly creates a bit more of a desire inside. I need to figure out how I'm going to do that. Because if you're always helping your kids, well, where does it stop? You know, for example, if your child can't climb the tree, it is not helpful to lift them up into the tree so that they can succeed. Then They're not succeeding, they've had help. And there is a point in life when they are not going to be around that parent. And what are they going to do? They're not going to have a foundation of experiences to draw from. When I talk about schools without failure, 
I'm not just talking about an examination system that fails thousands and thousands of children every year. I'm talking about attitudes that exaggerate that sense of being a failure. Attitudes that spring from our beliefs or expectations. For example, that winners are better than losers. This doco series ran in 1985, and it looks at the whole issue of children failing, mainly in education. It also considers the role that self-esteem plays when it comes to kids learning new things. From a very early age, we're conditioned through these beliefs, not only by parents and teachers, but by everything we see and hear around us, to think that to be one sort of person is not as good or is better than to be another sort of person. We know that self-esteem is not about being the best. It's about knowing and accepting oneself as we truly are. This starts with being known and accepted by those around us, and in fact, this will involve failure. This brings us back to a topic we've touched on before, the idea of how we as parents perceive our children. And in an episode that is largely based around uncomfortable feelings, we should prepare to face a few of our own, because here's the thing. The reason we step in and try to rescue our children might be that we feel their failure reflects upon us. You know, we want to protect our child from those difficult feelings, but sometimes, you know, again, we recognise as parents that our children are a reflection on us. We're sitting beside other parents on the sideline, and Al is the one who's, you know, picking flowers and not facing in the direction and scoring, and he tries, you know, whatever that is. Often that's the emotion we're having to work through as well, which is our own response to this stuff. Part of that response might be working out that your child's strengths and weaknesses aren't what you thought they'd be. Now, with some kids, you might have to look pretty closely to find what those strengths are. The difficulty is that what we often do is have some prescribed or some kind of preconceived ideas about what those strengths should be. And when we keep looking for them and don't see what we expect to see, then we can feel, you know, our child is letting us down. I teach swimming, and you see that a lot, where it's the parents pushing the kids especially in competition, you know, pushing, pushing, pushing. A lot of it does come down to the parent's ego, not the child's desire. And that's when we need to take a closer look and see who our child actually is. This child, who may not necessarily have a lot of traditional or or classic strengths, might actually be the kindest kid on the block. Might actually be someone who is really creative. So it doesn't actually matter what the strengths are, we just need to know that we've got some and that they're of value. The fact is that even for a child with good self-esteem, there will be some tough moments. So even if we've been pussyfooting around as parents and shielding them from things, the schoolyard can be brutal. And I'm informed by one of my children that an epic fail is still a thing, people still get laughed at, and there's this. The old slow hand clap. So... There might be days when our children come home grappling with a range of emotions. We're not wanting kids to actually, um, you know, celebrate failure. We want them to have the emotion that, that should be associated with failure, which is, you know, either I'm more determined to try harder next time, or I'm gutted and what I need is a cuddle and move through it, or in actual fact I didn't place much value on that thing in the first place, so failure, you know, what does it matter? So kids are going to have different responses, but that's what we're giving space to. And when those emotions finally come tumbling out, our response is important too. We want to empathise with that. We don't want to sympathise. So sympathising is is kind of like, oh, you poor darling, you know, and I've had that experience too. And it's so, you know, it's kind of, I suppose, throwing yourself into the emotion of that situation. 
and in a way feeding it. Empathy is to say, oh, it's tough, isn't it? When this was something you wanted and it hasn't been able to happen, hey? Give us a cuddle. You know, that's about joining with that person's experience and supporting them and containing them with it. So that's what your kid needs. And to really make it work, it probably pays if we cut down on our own hissy fits and meltdowns. In other words, if we practice what we preach. Modelling effective frustration tolerance at our own failures, at our own difficulties, um, is a really important teaching tool too. Kids really do do what we do rather than what we say. And that's the show. Are We There Yet is produced and presented by me, Katie Gossett, and Adam McCauley mixes in the music. Our executive producer is Tim Watkin, and the nice historical audio comes from Na Taonga Sound and Vision. You can find other episodes over at Apple Podcasts, or go to our podcast page at rnz.co.nz. And while you're there, you can find some other great advice in It Takes a Village, a selection of parenting interviews from our 9 to Noon programme. And coming up next time on Are We There Yet? We look at the world of adoptive parenting. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.